1: Today's sermon is pre recorded. Grace that exceeds our sin. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord. Grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured. There where the blood of the Lamb was spilt. Dark is the stain that we cannot hide. What can avail to wash it away? Look, there is flowing a crimson tide. Whiter than snow you may be today. Marvelous, infinite, matchless grace. Freely bestowed on all who believe, you that are longing to see his face, will you this moment his grace receive? Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. Psalm 34 Verses 15 and 16. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. A maid, a housemaid, a house servant, who could not go to school because they said she was too dumb. She couldn't get grades. She couldn't even learn her alphabet. She went to a a Methodist meeting and left in scorn, saying they're just a bunch of hypocrites, all that carrying on. Foolishness. I don't have time for foolishness. I have important things to do. The floor needs scrubbed. Children need cared for. And then a guest came to the house. And the head of the house handed him the Bible that evening and said, why don't you find a passage of scripture appropriate for us and read it as a worship? And he read Psalm 34. When he read, the face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth, her heart was pierced. She went up to her, her room for the first time in her life. She got down on her knees at an old straight back chair. She began to ask God about this issue of being cut off from him about God wanting to cut off the memory of her from the earth. and Suddenly, she began to see, written on the chair in front of her face, all the sins she'd ever committed in all of her life. Now remember, this woman couldn't read. She was too dumb to learn the alphabet. But she could read the sin on the chair, written by the hand of the Holy Spirit, And she began to cry so loudly that the mistress of the house, three floors down, could hear her wails and came to find out what the problem was. And she said, God wants to cut me off from the earth because I'm a sinner. And she went on wailing and weeping until finally the Holy Spirit told her her sins were forgiven. And then she started to shout and dance so loud that they heard her three floors below and came to find out what the problem was. That was the next morning. She'd prayed all night. This precious woman was known as Holy Anne, given over to Jesus completely, unreservedly. She had a horrible temper She would turn in a moment in rage, like when the children came in from playing outside and came stomping across her freshly washed floor and they left mud all over it. She would in rage rebuke them. Now was the test. Could God, would God remove her anger? And she went to prayer. And she stayed there until the victory was won. And the anger was gone. And the enemy said to her, Oh, you think it's done? You just wait until the next time the children come running across your freshly washed floor. They did. And there was just sweetness in her heart. The victory was won. All of this raises for me the question, has Jesus forgiven you for your sin? And has Jesus placed you under His grace? And what does grace mean? We can all quickly give the answer. Grace is unmerited favor. But now the question. Does grace cover over your sin? Does grace cover over your sin? I'm under grace, not under the law. That's what the word says, doesn't it? It says, I'm not under the law, I'm under grace. If I'm under grace, God does not want to cut off the memory of me from the earth. So who is under grace? And who is under law? Are you under grace? Or are you under law? Let's read several scriptures together. These are questions that can only be answered by the Word of God. But before we do that, I have to tell you, all of my, all of my life, I have believed that grace covered sin. I was taught as a child, and I grew up believing that grace covered my sin. That I was justified, which meant I was forgiven for my sin. And now I was under grace, and grace covered my sin. Have any of you been taught the same? I was taught that grace gave me time to deal with my sin. And that if I was like everyone else, my final sin would not be dealt with until the resurrection on that great day. Have any of you been taught this? Let's see what the scriptures say. We'll begin in Romans the fifth chapter. We'll begin reading with verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Now, obviously, you will understand this grace by understanding what is meant by justified. And I need to simply tell you that the translator of the NIV and the translator of the King James Version play loose with this word justified. In one place, they will define it or interpret it or explain it as meaning Righteousness. Innocence. In another place, they will say justified. Taking a Reformation point from John Calvin, Martin Luther, that this means that my past sins have been forgiven. It's clear that the way you interpret or translate this word justified, will tell you whether or not you believe grace covers sin. So, obviously, it's not conclusive in this passage. It depends on how you translate the word justified or made righteous. Let's move now to verses 16 and 17. Again, the gift of God is not like the result of the one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. But the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Christ Jesus. They just made a very serious mistake. The word righteousness here is the same word translated just a moment ago as justification. Let's read it again. It's, this is vital for your walk with the Lord Jesus. You have to understand this or you will be led astray to treat as a small thing the rebellion of your heart against God. And you will think that God is blessing you while all the while he is determined to erase your memory from the face of the earth. It is not wise to have the Almighty God against us. Notice again, verse 17, For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? In other words, there's been given a great provision of grace, which is literally unmerited favor. There has been given to us favor, and that favor is the gift of righteousness. God's favor is shown to us by giving to us the gift of righteousness. Now, what is righteousness? Righteousness merely means right behavior. It means innocence. No charge of wrongdoing can be made against a righteous person. And so it would be a fable to believe that grace covered over my sin. Nowhere in Scripture, and I have in the last week, read every passage of Scripture in both the Old and the New Testament that has anything to do with grace. Not once in any of these passages of Scripture is there the slightest hint that grace covers our sin. Rather, just the opposite, that grace uncovers our sin and calls us to repent of it. Now, I don't know if that's shocking to you, but it has been quite shocking to my heart. The Holy Spirit has been leading me this direction through the revelation of being made righteous. But now to understand that grace is not permissive, that grace instead is the very means by which God can bring righteousness into our lives, can change our behavior from wickedness to innocence, to transform us into new creatures, to take the rebelliousness out of our heart, to change who we are at the very core of our being. That's the favor that God is showing us because if He does not show us that favor, He must, by His own word, cut off our memory from the face of the earth. And so what we're really dealing with here is whether or not you want the memory of yourself cut off from the face of the earth. I think the greatest dread that any man has as he begins to move into his 50s and 60s is that his life will have been for nothing. And a man, even a man of the world, begins to look around him and say, do I have a home? kind of a car do I drive? Do I have a, a, a profession? Am I making a difference? Has my life counted for anything? I've spoken with countless men who have with broken heartedness, said to me, my life is almost gone and I have done nothing of note or worthiness to say that my name should be remembered in the earth. I'm going to soon be gone, and it won't matter that I'm gone. I won't be missed because I've made no contribution. Well, I'm not interested in asking what kind of house you live in or what kind of car you drive or how much money you have in your checking account, but I am vitally interested in asking you, does the Lord want to cut off the memory of your life from this earth? Because you continue to walk in wickedness and sin against Him. Or will you allow the grace He has offered you, the favor He has offered you out of the goodness of His heart, out of nothing that I deserve, out of the goodness of His heart, He has offered you favor in order to make you righteous. Are you willing to accept that gracious offer of righteousness from the Lord God Almighty? Look with me also in verse 18. Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of the one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. Now note again, if the word justification is being translated here simply as the forgiveness of all my past sins, then it would not bring life. It would simply bring forgiveness. It would bring legal forgiveness and the wiping out of my debt, but it would leave me unclean before God. It would leave me with bitterness in my heart. It would leave me unlike Jesus. But if it means made righteous then it brings life for all men. Now verse 19. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, many will be made righteous. The word righteous in verse 19 is the same word that we saw in 16, translated justification. You see, now they're translating it, made righteous. Please, everything hangs on this issue. Will God make you righteous as a free gift of his grace? As a free gift of his favor toward you, will he make you righteous? Or is righteousness something that comes through struggling and hard work? Does righteousness come by way of the law? Or does righteousness come by way of believing the word of God and trusting that what he says is true and receiving what he's giving to me? If it was by the law, I would have a wonderful excuse for why I'm not righteous. Because I would say, look how many men have tried and failed. Who do you think I am? I'm just like they are. But under the new covenant, we don't work to earn our standing before God. Our standing before God is based on what Jesus did at the cross, and it's a free gift to us. How do we receive it? By believing. As long as we hold on to the illusion that grace covers my sin, I will not take my sin seriously and will not understand that it is God's purpose to cut my memory off from the earth. That like a pagan, he will allow me to enjoy the sunshine and the rain and the changing of the seasons. He'll allow me to enjoy my, my fireplace and my, my walks in nature. He'll allow me to enjoy living on the face of the earth for a short time because he now is allowing his mercy for all humankind on the earth. But know what God's agenda is. His agenda is to cut off your memory from the face of the earth. If you walk in unrighteousness. We could say to him, but I did my best and I just couldn't quite measure up. Look how I struggled against this sin. Would you please give me a little bit of slack because I tried so hard. You know, when I went off to high school, I knew I was going to have a hard time. I knew I didn't have the academic background necessary to compete with my students. I was raised grades one through eight in a little tiny schoolroom with nine students all in the same room and a country teacher who didn't know very much about teaching. I knew I was in trouble when I took the exams to go to high school. I got to high school. I'll never forget the principal. His name was Prof. Shaw. He was a short little man. He stood behind that big podium on a box. He was dressed in his suit and tie. He looked over his glasses at us. And he said, now, half of your success in this school will be based on whether or not you attend class. You may not be able to understand everything that's said there, but you can at least show up. And if you'll show up, you'll pass. I determined in my heart right then, I will never miss a class. In four years of high school, I had perfect attendance. Because I was so dumb. I needed every benefit to pass because God had called me to be a pastor, and I knew I had to get high school to be a pastor. Seems to me that just showing up in the prayer closet should be enough. Showing up in church, that should do it. At least I could show up in church. I could pay my tithe. Now, God, shouldn't that be enough? No. You do not get righteousness by showing up at church. If you could get righteousness by showing up at church, I would be certain that I was at the door every time you went out, and I would punch your ticket and say, bless you. You don't get righteousness by showing up at church. It helps because it exposes you to some preaching of the word that might pierce your heart and cause you to repent and accept the free gift of salvation. Here's the great trouble we have. We've not adequately considered our sin. We have treated as a small thing our sin against the Most High God. We have been casual about the reality of our sin. And we have thought that the grace of God would cover over our sin. And most of us have been raised being taught the lie that all we needed was God's grace, and grace would cover our sin. But not one passage of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation ever teaches that grace covers our sin. In fact, there's no teaching in the Scripture that the blood of Jesus Christ will cover our sin. The blood of Jesus does not cover our sin. The blood of Jesus erases our sin. If I were to say to you, I need the blood of Jesus just to wipe out all of these past sins, that would be a wonderful work. And the blood of Jesus will do that for you. But what if I'm left still bitter of heart, angry and by spirit, rebellious, selfish, selfish, filled with pride, determined to have my own way. What if I'm left that way? Then what about my sins that have been forgiven? I'll just repeat them. Until I'll think nothing of them. Everything in the church in America is oriented to causing us to not be concerned about our sin. And yet, everything about the Scriptures concerns our sin. And none of our sin can be taken away by our hard work. The removal of sin is always by grace, a free gift of Jesus, by the blood. But it leaves us new people in Christ, victorious, walking day by day with no bitterness of heart, with no anger, no depression, no fear. It takes all of that from us. And and I confess to you today, the driving force in most of my life has been fear. I prayed so many times about this issue of fear. I pleaded with God to take it from me. But I'd stand up to preach and I'd be filled with fear. The first time I began preaching, I had to hold on to the pulpit because my knees were knocking together so badly. Well, why? Fear is concern about myself. Fear is self-centeredness. Fear says that I have an agenda, and I have to protect that agenda. And when I finally understood this and gave it to Jesus and said, Lord, take this, I'll no longer be concerned about it. It's yours. Then I didn't have it to protect anymore, and I had no more fear. So I don't have to protect my life anymore. I don't have to protect what I think anymore. It's okay if I'm wrong. If I don't understand something and I make a mistake, it's all right. All fear is removed when everything is given over to Jesus and I no longer have anything to defend. When I don't have to defend something, I don't have to protect it. And so today I stand before you. There's no fear in my heart. I'm not controlled by fear. I'm not governed by fear. I'm not afraid I won't have enough money. I'm not afraid I won't be able to have the mortgage payment. I'm not afraid I'm not going to be able to have the radio payment. I'm not afraid about the payment for the rent for this house. I came to this service today and I said, Lord, I don't have the money to pay the rent yet for this month. I give it to you, Jesus. And all fear was gone. It's all right. Because I'm not responsible for the rent for this building. And neither are you. Jesus is. So if he wants us here, thank you, Jesus. If he doesn't want us here, where do you want us, Lord? We're on our way. There's no need for fear. So look with me at chapter 6, Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life if we have been united with him like this in his death we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Everything that Jesus was about was removing the sin from our heart and our lives. That's what he wants to do. Will we allow him to do that? Will we deal with the sin of our lives? Finally, in a serious manner, and know that if we continue in our sin, it's God's purpose to cut off our memory from the earth. Will we allow his grace, his favor, to make us righteous? Chapter 6, I'm going to begin reading with verse 11. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desire. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under law but under grace. So when we are under grace, we are not under law. And when we are under grace, we are not walking in sin in our lives. And we don't need grace to cover over sin, because it can't do that. The purpose of grace is not to cover our sin, but to point our sin out. To convict us of sin, and to call us into the prayer closet where we'll get before the Father and we'll stay there and pray until that sin is broken and we have the assurance of God in our soul that we've been washed and made clean. You know, I would have a very difficult time coming and preaching the word of God to you if I still believed that you could do something to earn God's salvation. You can't do anything to earn it but you can certainly prevent it from coming into your life. And you can cause God to cut off the memory of your life from this earth. And it's all centered in this issue of will we receive the grace of God and repent of our sin and let him remove it from our heart. Now, what is that sin today? Just because we're Americans... Certainly, pride is a part of all the sin in our hearts. Demanding to be treated a certain way, spoken to a certain way, dealt with a certain way. We have our rights. We want our rights. Impatience. Things have to go the way we want them to go. Or anger begins to boil up. Impatience is a great sin and must be dealt with in the prayer closet. A lack of compassion and love for the unlovely. Where we look with scorn at others who are not like us. And in our hearts, speak of them in ways that are demeaning or diminishing. We cut them off. We have nothing to do with them. We turn and walk on the other side of the street. These are sins that are so gross before God. Or we dress certain ways because we want people to get the message that we're cool. Or we act in certain ways so that people will respect us. These are sins before God. The Lord is calling us to deal with our sin. Now, here's the difficulty that I'm finding at the National Prayer Chapel is that some of you are willing to deal a little bit with your sin, just enough to discourage you. You're willing to deal with your sin just enough to feel miserable, as though that were going to gain you something. God, I have a misery quotient that's at 99. Isn't that enough to deal with my sin? No, God didn't try to make you miserable. It's not on God's agenda to make you miserable. God wants to deal to the very bottom with the sin of our hearts. He doesn't want to make us miserable. Some of you are willing to deal with your sin by saying, okay, 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 I got it, Pastor. I won't do that anymore. You didn't get it at all. This isn't about what you're willing to stop doing or start doing. Then it'd be by works. Okay, pastor said I shouldn't do that. I'm not going to do that till the next time. Of what value is that? If that's the Christian faith, then we better get ourselves in gear and and grab a hold of all of the most modern techniques of neuro-linguistic training and learn how to reprogram our minds and our hearts so that we'll speak positive things and do all of the necessary sales deal to get ourselves on track. But that's not the gospel. The gospel of Jesus is that we bring our sin into the prayer closet and we do business with God. And we pray through until the assurance is given that that sin has been dealt with, that we've been changed, that we've been transformed into the likeness of Christ, and joy fills our heart and a great shout of victory goes up from our spirit because we've just had the chains taken off. We've been released from that bondage. And as that testimony goes out of our mouths into our families, others begin to say, I could get that victory too. And pretty soon the whole house is filled with people shouting for victory because sin has been put away. Righteousness has been given. And we're now walking in victory before God. The expectation of Jesus Christ when he died on the cross is that he was setting his people free, that they would walk without sin before him. Do you want to walk without sin? Is that a desire of your heart, to walk clean before God? You can by simply believing the word that is spoken to you. You can walk clean. What it will require of you is to lay your life down, to give up ownership of your life, and to give your life to Jesus Christ. That's what it requires. A homeless man this last week was having a very hard time. Temperatures were very low. I went to my house. I got a sleeping bag. I took it back to him. He was sleeping in his car. I took back a big thermos full of hot soup and bread. I made him as comfortable as I could make him in his car. I tried to talk to him about Jesus. He wasn't interested in Jesus. He was interested in the sleeping bag and the hot soup. Now, God knows he prompted me to go and give him those things. It's so graphic for me, though, because it's obvious that what he's concerned about is his physical life. He doesn't understand that God is planning to remove the memory of him from the earth, that he won't be here much longer and then he'll be gone. It's my duty to show every kindness to him while he's here. He's getting his heaven in his car in a sleeping bag. Is that the kind of heaven you want? Is that the kind of heaven you're looking for? Now, maybe the heaven you're looking for is in the Ritz-Carlton. That's not much better than the car with the sleeping bag. Is that the heaven you're looking for? I'm looking for heaven where I can walk with Jesus, be washed and set free of the bondages of the sin of my heart, no longer walk in darkness or rebellion against the Most High, utterly trusting Him for every part of my life, with no fear, walking in freedom with Jesus Christ. That's heaven to me. Now, we're supposed to be in chapter 7 today, and it's time to close, and I haven't started chapter 7. But I'll read just a bit for you out of chapter 7. Romans chapter 7, verse 4. So, my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God I must ask you honestly, who do you belong to? And if immediately in your mind you said, I don't belong to anybody, then know that God has the purpose in his heart of cutting off the memory of your life from this earth. Who do you belong to? If you belong to yourself, then God is planning to cut your memory off from this earth. Do you belong to the darkness? Or do you belong to Jesus Christ? For when we were controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies so that we bore fruit for death, But now by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we may serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. There is a new way of the Spirit to walk. You can no longer afford to make yourself miserable by looking at your sin for just a moment. You're going to have to go through all the way. You're going to have to look honestly by crying out to God about your sin until it's finally dealt with and you're brought through in victory. And you know that your life is no longer owned by you. It is owned by Jesus Christ. And then in the prayer closet, every darkness is broken. Every bondage is broken. Our hearts are made new. We are given a new heart. We are made into new creatures in Christ Jesus. And the testimony of our heart will be, I am free. I am victorious. I no longer walk in sin before God and only love will pour from our hearts. You'll know when that has been arrived at, because only love will come from your heart. Love is the fulfillment of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Almighty God, finish this work in us. Lord, bring us through Show us our sin. Show us our sin, Almighty God. Let it be plain to every heart. And let a victory be found in the blood of Jesus. I pray in your holy name. Amen.
0: Of light, take away the dark of night, fill me with your pure. Divine. The children pray. Lead me to the deepest well, where never-ending love prevails. Drinking from your cup, Prince of Peace, forever live inside of me. Keeper of eternity.
1: Thank you so much for joining us today. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress,
0: brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. We'd love to hear from
2: you. Write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, P.O. Box 2346,
1: Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195, or visit us online at nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. We love you.
2: Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to and his glory with great joy.